We're going to start, we're at part two on the paper, and we're going to kind of just walk through and look at some of the blessings that God has promised Israel, but let's, let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you again this morning uh, that we can come and worship you and sing and, and look into your word. We pray you would teach us from it, help us to learn more about your plan for the future, help us to take comfort in what you've said you'll do and follow through with. We pray you'll bless this time now, we ask in Christ's name, amen. We closed out with the overview of just kind of looking at the sin of Israel and what all was going on. And uh, so the question again that we started with, is God done with Israel? The answer the Scripture gives is clearly no, that God is going to fulfill His covenants to Israel. The uh, whole context of the Abrahamic covenant is going to be fulfilled. And uh, God is going to fulfill it with the physical seed of Abraham. Now, there are... Uh, uh, some different types of seed mentioned in Scripture. Let me give you these. There's the natural line of, of Abraham. Then there are those Israelites who walk by faith. And who's been grafted in? The church has. So we will share in some of the blessings, but God is going to fulfill what He said He will do with Israel. And God makes it very clear that He is not done with Israel Let's look at the New Testament before we get back into Minor Prophets. Look over at Romans. Romans chapter 9. Uh, let me say real quickly, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 are Paul pointing out that God did work sovereignly in the nation of Israel and that God's not done with them. This is not a basis for teaching. Um, there's a, you just got to be really careful. There's some crazy stuff that comes out of these passages that, that you can read about today. But I just want to look at the introduction to each one of these chapters and just show you very clearly what's going on here. Uh, again, if we let the Scriptures speak for themselves, it's very hard to take this and run with it to another direction. But it says in, in Romans chapter 9, verse number 1, he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness with the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. So Paul makes it very clear. He's talking about a very specific group of people here. He's talking about the church, right? No. Well, who is he talking about then? Well, he's talking about the Israelites, and very specifically here in God's Word, it says that people that God made His covenants with. Now, at this point in history, when Paul is writing, what was the only group of people God had made His covenants with? Israel. So when the Romans received this letter, and they were reading Romans chapter 9, did they say, oh, this means us. No, they understand. Now, they may have been Jews there, okay? There may have been some Jews in the church. They would have gotten it. But if you were a Roman citizen, you may not even know exactly what the covenants were. And so God is making it very clear here that He's not done with Israel. So let's jump over to chapter 10. This is for hard headed people like me that don't get it the first time. So, chapter 10, verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Remember that passage we talked about back in, was it Hosea, where they were going through the motions of religion, but they didn't really know God? Here's the same idea. 
He goes on in verse number 3, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going out to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And we still see that today, don't we? People trying to get to God. They may believe the gospel, but then how do they live their Christian life? Trying to establish their own righteousness. Trying to do their own things to impress God as they walk in their daily Christian life. Alright, so chapter 10. Now, chapter 11. This really drives home the idea for people who are really hard-headed like me. Chapter 11, verse number 1. Hath God cast away His people? Now, with the context of Romans 9, 10, and 11, God's people are who? Israel. Has God cast away His people? God forbid. For I am also an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. So we see very clearly, if we let Scripture say what it says, we've got a case here. We've got the covenants. God's not a liar. He's promised future blessing to the nation of Israel based on what He said He would do, not based on their actions. Now we have Romans 9, 10, and 11 and other passages where Scripture very clearly tells us God is not through with Israel. Now, for me, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, okay? I don't see the conflict. I don't see how people can come up and ask me the question, is God done with Israel? Or is the church Israel? What that tells me as a pastor is that you guys probably hadn't been in the book enough. You may have been reading books and listening to videos and watching YouTube stuff, but you get in the book and read it and let it say what it says, and it's going to clear a lot of these things up as we've already seen. But the minor prophets have very, uh, just have tons of promises of blessing that, that we're going to see. Now, right now, who's God focusing on? What dispensation are we living in? Grace. All right, one of the... The, uh, the characteristics of, of the dispensation of grace, God is doing new things, right? Uh, we have a new relationship with God. We have a new relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have a new relationship with one another. And all of these things He's doing now, but this is going to come to an end. Wouldn't it be great if it came to an end today? Uh, Brother Spurbeck was talking about walking around a foot off the ground. Hey, I'm, let's get out of here. I'm with you. I mean, let's go. Uh, sooner the better. But for us, that's great, right? But let me ask you a question. How's it going to go for the people of Israel, for God's people? Is it going to be a pleasant time for them? Yes, no, maybe. Hello? No, it's okay. You can say something. Um, what is one of the names given to the tribulation in the Old Testament that signifies what kind of time it's going to be? Anybody know? Time of Jacob's trouble. Okay. Um, Jacob is always associated with what nation? Israel. The tribulation is a time where God is working, and it's going to be a time of severe persecution for those folks. Let me show you something real quick. Look at Ezekiel chapter 20. We'll eventually get to the Minor Prophets, I promise. Ezekiel chapter 20. Verse number 24. Ezekiel 20, verse 24 says this, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Because you have made your iniquity to be remembered, in that your transgressions are discovered, so that in all your doings your sins do appear. Remember that controversy God had with Israel that Hosea pointed out here? It's brought up again. 
I say that you are come to remembrance, you shall be taken with a hand. And thou, profane, wicked prince of Israel, whose day is come when iniquity shall have an end, thus saith the Lord God, remove the diadem. Um, yeah, I'm in the wrong chapter. Excuse me. 20, uh, 20, I don't know, how, I've got that written down, but that was in a different reference. Look down in chapter 20, verse number... All right, verse number 33. Chapter 20, verse 33. Let me get in the right chapter. That always helps. Chapter 20, verse 33. I've got so many notes up here, I'm, I'm getting lost in my notes. Chapter 20, verse number 33. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people and there plead with you face to face, like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I plead with you. And I will cause you to pass under the rod and bring you into the bondage, bond of, co- of the covenant. And I will purge out from among you the rebels, them that transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they sojourn, and they shall not enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Listen, folks, this is at the end of the tribulation. This is before the millennial kingdom starts. Those Jewish people that are left, those Israelites that are left, are going to, and they're, they're not believers, they're not enter, entering into the millennium. And so when we talk about what Israel has to go through, their future initially is not very bright, is it? We've got a great future to look forward to. I hope you're thankful for that. When people ask you, are we Israel? Again, this is just more reason for us to be able to step back and say, hey, you know what? We're not, and I hope you're thankful. But during the tribulation, God is going to start working on these folks uh, the Jewish folks are, are there are going to be 144 Jewish witnesses, 144,000 Jewish male witnesses that will go out and be uh, be preaching. But the tribulation is going to be a great time of suffering and destruction for the people of Israel. It'll be a time that the heart of the people of Israel will look for the great deliverance that God is going to bring. And when Christ comes back, they'll ultimately realize that hey, He's the one who's the Savior. Look at one other reference here. Look at Zechariah. At the end of the tribulation, at the second coming, Zechariah, look at Zechariah chapter 12, and their eyes are going to be opened. Zechariah chapter 12, verse number 10, says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and the supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they pierced. And they shall mourn him as one that mourneth his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one in bitterness for the firstborn. At the point in time when Christ returns, those who are left alive are going to realize that, hey, this is the Messiah. This is the one we pierce. This is the one who uh, bore our transgressions. This is the one who was smitten and afflicted. This is the one who, by whose stripes, we are healed. And so they'll, they'll have that understanding. And so the minor prophets have made a very strong case against Israel. Eschatology shows us that the tribulation will be a very difficult time, Jacob's trouble, but we see future blessing for the nation. So let's get into the minor prophets. Let's go to Hosea again. Hosea chapter 1, 
And let's look at verse number 10. Remember Hosea is right after Daniel. Hosea chapter 1. And we start seeing promises almost immediately. Hosea chapter 1 verse number 10 says this, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea. Which covenant did that come from? Abrahamic. So there's the follow through, that continuity here. Shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered, yet it shall come to pass... Then in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Israel and the children or children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint unto themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Here is a great promise, a great promise of future blessing, the regathering of the nation. God promised Abraham his people would be his descendants like like uh, the stars, and here's that promise follow through on that in the future, God is going to Himself gather these people together and bring them back into a great nation. His covenant to Abraham is going to be fulfilled in spite of the lack of faithfulness of God's people. Isn't it great that God's faithfulness doesn't depend on our faithfulness? When you look at the Old Testament, one, one thing that can help you with the Old Testament, a lot of people don't like the Old Testament. Some people say it's not for us. But folks, you look at the Old Testament, there are principles for living we can draw out. And the principle we see here is that God is faithful. In spite of our lack of faithfulness, God is faithful. And we see in verse number 10, look at verse number 10, uh, you shall be the sons of the living God. This is the idea of God's loving loyalty to His people. So it's a time of restoration. It's a time of blessing. It's a time where a nation that has not been together as a nation since Solomon are going to be brought back into the land. All right. Uh, he mentions Jezreel here. Jezreel uh, points to a great victory in the time of, of Israel. Remember, who fought in Jezreel and won a great victory there? Anybody know that? He had about 300 guys with him. Does that help you? They, they didn't take swords. Yeah, Gideon. All right. Um, there's a great victory there. Um, and so what we see here is a miraculous victory again pointed to that God is going to miraculously do some great things in these people. Um, there's also the idea of intimacy here. There's a time of purity and a time of devotion. Notice in verse number 10, you were not my people, but now you're my sons. It's a time where God's people are going to be in a right fellowship with him based on what he's done. Um, let's look over, let's look over, let me find where I'm at here, I skipped a spot here. Um, look over in chapter 2, Amos chapter 2. And let's look in verse 16, it says, And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call, they shall call me Ishi, and shall no more call me Bali, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day I will make a covenant with them with the beast, and we won't read all of this. But the idea here in verse number 16, the intimacy that God will have with His people. Um, the word ishi is a term of tender affection. It's a term that God's people will use in that close relationship with Him. Um, the, the word Balaam, or Balaam, has the idea of the word Lord or Master. 
And it said that Israel in that time will not even use the word Bali because it's very close to idolatry. So there's going to be a purity here in the relationship between God and Israel that has really never existed. Um, it'll be a time of righteousness, a time of judgment, a time of mercy. Look down in verse number 19. He says, And I will betroth unto thee, yea, forever, I will betroth unto thee in righteousness, in judgment, in loving kindness, and in mercies. And so we see this relationship that God is going to have with this nation. The, uh, the word uh, uh, loving kindness is very important in the Old Testament. It's the closest word or the closest phrase in the Old Testament to agape in the New Testament. And very important in this relationship with God that he, they are going to be close. After finally, after centuries of judgment, dispersion, oppression, um, all of these things, Israel is going to have a true intimate relationship with their Lord. Uh, they were once not as people, but now they are as people. So Amos points to some future blessings specifically for the people of the covenants. Uh, we have these blessings right now. We, we have this loving relationship with the Lord right now. We can love Him. We can walk with Him. We can fellowship with Him. Uh, we can. Interesting thought. We can be as close to God today as we choose to be. Right? Right? Uh, the verse last night, if we walk in the Spirit, what? We will not. There's no possibility of fulfilling the lust of the flesh. So if we're walking in the Spirit, we're going to be manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to be in that close personal relationship. This is something that these people won't get into a way down the line. So I hope you're thankful for what we have. All right, uh, let's go over to Joel. Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. And Joel chapter 3, let's start in verse 16. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Joel three sixteen. It says, The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. So ye know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain, then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no strangers pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountaintop shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Jerusalem shall flow with waters, and the fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and there shall be water in the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their hands. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood uh, that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Another great promise of future blessing that's coming. Uh, something I meant to point out earlier, you, you find this in prophecy all the time, the phrase, in that day. Okay, that's not referring to a single day, it's referring to a time period. What is that time period? Who knows? The day of the Lord, okay, the day of the Lord. So when you see that phrase, in that day, you know, or in the day, or in that day, in the Old Testament, you know what time frame you're dealing with. So as you read through, maybe underline it, and you'll be amazed how many prophecies there are that really point to what we're talking about. And, and listen, we're just doing a very shallow survey of all that God's promised these people. But these are some, some ones that stick out. Um, so we see 
God's reaction to Israel when they finally repent. He says, I will be with you. I'll be the hope of your people. He's going to be the strength of their people. The Lord of hosts is by His word is going to show His strength. So we see the power, the strength of the word of God. The Lord will be, uh, His power will be demonstrated to show people that He is the one they can trust. Not another nation, not another man. During the time of tribulation, as the tribulation starts with the covenant, who are they going to make a covenant with? The Antichrist. They're going to look to the Antichrist for maybe protection or provision or maybe even expansion of their land, but God is going to show them that He is the one who's the source of their protection. He's the one who is that brings about what He's promised. And this is a wonderful future blessing. Um, notice in verse number 17, we see another aspect of this. He says, So you shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy. We see the idea of God dwelling with His people. One thing you find as you read through Scripture, Old Testament especially, is that God had a desire to be with His people. He has a desire to fellowship with us, and that just amazes me. Have you ever stopped and thought about what in the world God wants fellowship with us for? Half the time, I don't even want fellowship with me. (laughs) Or maybe more than half the time. And yet, God's desire is to fellowship with His people and and have that close relationship. And this is going to help establish that. Uh, What an incredible blessing for those people to finally be able to fellowship with their God. Um, and, and listen, these aren't just arbitrary promises. These are specifics as far as fulfillments of those covenants go. God keeping His word to these people. Uh, and listen, if God's going to keep His word to the people of Israel who've rejected them, who, who've turned their, their backs on Him, who've done all these different things, isn't that a great comfort and truth to us that God's going to keep His word to us? The promises that God makes us in the New Testament, we can believe them. We can trust them. We can, we can rest in them that God is going to do what He said He would do. Um, and so we see this here in Joel, this great, this great idea that the throne will be set up. This idea of the throne and God being in, in Israel is, again, points to the, the uh, unconditional nature of the Davidic covenant. Joel also points here to the restoration of the land. Remember back when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were going to what kind of land? What was it constantly referred to? A land that flows with milk and honey. Now, I don't like milk, and I'm not a real fan of honey, so, uh, but I, I, you get the idea. It's a prosperous land, right? Well, if you had, who's been to Israel? Okay, when were you there, sir? Was it, well, it's better now than it was, but let's say 50 years ago. Could we say Israel is a land flowing with milk and honey? Now through irrigation and different things, they're, they're turning it green again. But what we're going to see here is promises of blessing on the land. Um, because of the sin of the people, <clears throat> Excuse me. God would consistently send droughts. He would not send the latter rains or the early rains. And so Israel became a land that was dry, barren, just kind of a dusty place. And the mountains, according to uh, Feinberg, he pointed out that mountains traditionally don't do well when it comes to cultivation. And yet, look at the description here in verse number 18. The mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk. Uh, The idea that there is going to be cultivation growing, 
uh, farming, these kind of things, because of the blessing of God on this land. Uh, these things are going to be completely fulfilled. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Joel, this may, be, uh, may not make as much sense to you. It may not be as powerful. But when the book of Joel starts out, what's happening? There, there are these locusts, and the land is being destroyed, and the land is desolate. But by the time the end of Joel, where God has intervened, and that's a description of things going on in the tribulation in the first half, by the end of the book, God has intervened and He has done a work in this land that's transformed it. Isn't that great about God? He takes something useless, worthless, and transforms it into something profitable. Um, for those of us here, look in the mirror. What's He done with us? You know, before Christ, what were we really? I mean, we might have been people of good character and maybe hard workers, but all that was still filthy rags. And through the work of Christ and our faith in the gospel, what's God done? He's made us into a new creation. So we see this, these characteristics of God and that applied here. But So Joel brings him a great promise here. Um, God promised in the, the, the Palestinian covenant, land blessing. We see here a future prophecy from the minor prophets that there will be land blessing and restoration based on God working in these people. Um, a lot of nations, notice um, a lot of nations here will be almost jealous of Israel. Uh, it will be permanently restored, and God will repay those who've done violence. All right, so let's go to Amos. Again, there, we could spend all kind of time in these, but we just can't. Amos, I, I didn't put the actual reference in your, your uh, paper here. For some reason, I skipped it. But we're going to be in Amos chapter 9, verse number 11, and Amos chapter 15, verse 16. Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, verse number 11. And I'm going to ask you some questions. In that day, Amos 9, 11, when are we talking about? Day of the Lord. So we're talking about a still future time. In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruin, and I will build it as in the days of old. Question, which covenant is God directly working to fulfill in this verse? Davidic. Okay, you didn't know there was going to be a test, did you? Alright, the Davidic covenant. So we see it mentioned earlier in the Old Testament David's line basically falls into ruin after Solomon, the nation, Israel, and Judah spiral down, have to be judged. But here's a promise. God made a promise to David. He's going to fulfill it. God does not forget His Word. He doesn't forget His promises. And so we see that mentioned here. This is a direct promise uh, of, of Messiah coming, a direct promise not only of building David's line, but it's also referring to a regathering of Israel uh, the tabernacle can refer to the line of David, which will be restored to the throne eventually, and ultimately Christ will be ruling and reigning. And so when Christ comes, uh, He's going to set things right. He's going to rule. Wouldn't it be great if we had a ruler like Christ now? We, we were talking late, late last night about Psalm chapter 2 and uh, about how Christ is going He's going to rule with a rod of iron during the millennial reign. There's not going to be any playing around. He's still going to be Christ still be full of grace, but there's going to be swift justice. 
Um, so there'll be justice, there'll be compassion, there'll be doing what's right. All those things that God says he's going to do for the first time in history, there will be a ruler who will be doing what's right. I've got a quote. I'm not to that quote yet, so let's don't go there. Um, Amos is also showing the, uh, the, the power of the future king in the nation of Israel. Uh, let's look in verse number 12 in chapter 9. It says that they may possess the remnant of Eden, Edom, and all the heathen, heathen which are called by my name, by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes that sow a seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and the hills shall not melt. All of these things are pointing toward God setting things right. Edom was a constant thorn in Israel's side. They're going to be judged. Um, some say that Edom is representative of all who persecuted the nation throughout the years, all heathen everywhere. But the reality is that as we go closer and closer to the millennial kingdom, God's work with the nation of Israel is going to be clearer and clearer. He's going to preserve, he's going to bless, even though there's judgment going on. Uh, when we go into the millennial reign, it'll be obvious that, that God is working there. Um, let's look down at uh, chapter 9, verse 14 and 15, and see specific promises on restoration of the people and the land. Notice verse number 14. He says, Now I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof, and they shall make gardens and eat fruit of them. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord God. All right, question. Which covenants are we seeing referred to and fulfilled here? Okay, one would be the Abrahamic, and the other would be the Palestinian. Specific promises that have to do with the land and the title deed of the land. And notice the language in verse 15, in, in Amos chapter 9, verse 15, which I have given them. Remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God said, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a blessing. Here we are all the way out in Amos, looking out in the future, and we're seeing God saying, I'm going to do what I said I would do. Are we, the church? Are we Israel? The answer is no. And we see God's faithfulness uh, brought up and reminded over and over again through the minor prophets that God made promises to Abraham. He made promises to the nation of Israel there in Palestine. He made promises to David. He is going to fulfill those promises that he has made. Uh, we see it over and over. So let's continue on here. I do have a quote here on, I think about page 15 of your outline from Dwight Pentecost, speaking of the, the covenants here, he says, The covenant is largely occupied with a question of salvation from sin and impartation of the new heart. Salvation is solely the work of God. Thus, the new covenant, referring to the new, uh, this covenant, referring to the new covenant, is the covenant that guarantees the salvation of the nation of Israel must be apart from all human agency and therefore unconditional. He's pointing to the fact that God is doing what he's doing because he said he would do it. It's not based on the point at some point in the future, <clears throat> Israel will do something significant and cause God to turn back to them. God is going to have to continue working <clears throat> to get these people where they need to be. And so God's word will be implanted. God's word will work. <clears throat> It'll take grow, root and grow. 
All right, let's look at Micah. <clears throat> Micah, chapter 4. Micah, chapter 4. Again, let me encourage you, if you've never read through the Minor Prophets, take some time and just read through them. They're fascinating books. Uh, a lot of neat stuff there. Micah chapter 4, <clears throat> verse number 1. It says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go to the, the mountain of the Lord, let us and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations far off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall any learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his own vine, and under his own fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all people will walk, uh, every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever. In that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that hateth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make him that hateth a remnant, and uh, her that was cast afar off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth and forevermore." Uh, Micah here points to some incredible blessings based on the covenants. First is the regathering of the people, and that one is a common theme that goes out. The second is the promise of the house of the Lord will be exalted. And then the third is that the people will be taught the Word of God. They will know the Word of God. They'll be excited. Uh, they'll want to live according to the Word of God. Which covenant? The new covenant. From Jeremiah chapter 31, God has promised to put His law in their hearts and they'll be His people. Uh, there seems to be an excitement here that people will want to go to the land of Israel to hear what God has to say. You know, isn't that an amazing change? People across the street don't even want to come over here today and hear what God's got to say. But in this day, people will want to hear. So we see multiple covenants coming to play in this passage, uh, in, ch in chapter 4, verse number 2, the Abrahamic covenant, referring to the descendants of Abraham being a people, and not just being a people, but being a blessing to all people. As you look at the history of the Jewish people, especially in the 1900s, 1800s, uh, most people would not consider them to be a blessing. In fact, in a lot of nations, Germany, 1935, they were considered a curse. And even today, they're persecuted. But we, what we see here is that God is going to change all that. Abraham's descendants would be a blessing, and people would come to Jerusalem and learn from the Lord and want to worship Him and see what He has for them. Um, Israel. Let me ask you a question. What was God's original intent for the nation of Israel as far as spiritual things? Anybody know? Kingdom of priests. They were to be a kingdom of priests, to declare the name of God to the heathen. How did they do in that? They didn't have that big, thick book, What Me a Priest, right? That would have probably... Okay. Uh, yeah, they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests, and, and they didn't do that. As we look toward the millennial kingdom, we see God working in a way that Israel never could. 
It's just a great truth that God will be a blessing to His people. He'll be a blessing to the people of God's world, and He's going to do it, or of the world, He's going to do it through them. Um, and so we see that this idea also, uh, this is not really a covenant idea, but it's the idea of worldwide peace, verse number 3. You know, where do we find verse 3 today plastered? Anybody know? United Nations. Okay, that's their, that's their life verse, I guess, if you want to call it that. But they don't have a clue what it means, and they're, they're still way off before that will be fulfilled. Uh, that's not something man can do. But when God takes control in the fulfillment of these covenants, there's going to be justice. Things are going to be done right. Um, and so there will be forgiveness. Okay, let's look at Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah is a short book. It's probably one of the most overlooked books in the entire Bible. But some great things here in Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse number 14. It says in verse 14, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, and be glad. And rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil any more. In, in that day, there it is again, in that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. For the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Wow, what a great passage. Uh, We see all these things that God says that he is going to do in this future blessing of his people of Israel. Um, This is specific, specific based on the new covenant, specific based on the Abrahamic covenant. Initially, when we go into the, or when they go into the millennial kingdom, What's the condition going to be like? What would be the condition of every person entering into the millennial kingdom? Will they be saved or lost? We would call them saved, okay? They would be saved people. Will there be any lost person entering into that millennial kingdom? No. Now, as that kingdom progresses, will there be lost people in it? Yes. So initially, when this kingdom initially starts, there will be a total absence of sin. I often sit and think about this passage. Wouldn't it be great in our own lives if we could just go through maybe like a day with a total absence of sin? I mean, that would be worth singing over, wouldn't it? I'm terrible. I can't sing. You you don't want to hear that, but that would be worth it. Uh, And so we see again the work of God in that day because of these covenants doing great things in the land of Israel. And so God's future blessings on Israel are clearly seen. Look over at... uh, Let's go over to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 8. <clears throat> again, I mentioned it earlier, but I want to mention it again. This is just a, a very quick survey of all God's promise to do for these folks. And I'm giving you this because, as I said at the beginning, there are a lot of people that don't understand that we are not Israel, that God's got a specific plan for Israel. And at least, hopefully, this will be a reference help if you need to sit down with somebody and show them, all right? So, uh, Zechariah chapter 8, verse number 2. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with a great jealousy. I was jealous for her with great fury. 
Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion, I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem, and shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So we see again this promise that God will be dwelling with His people. He'll be teaching His people. Jerusalem right now could be called a divided city. If you've been there, and I've never been there, but I've talked to people, and they said there are certain sections that could be called a wicked city. Spiritually, it's an indifferent city. But when God, because of the New Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant, takes up residence, it's going to be called a city of truth. His truth will be going forward. It'll be going forward very clearly. And God's loving loyalty will be seen and experienced. Uh, There'll be peace. There'll be security. The power of God will be very clear. Um, Look over to Zechariah. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 10. Excuse me, Zechariah chapter 12. And Zechariah is just full of great promises. Zechariah chapter 12, we read this verse earlier. It says, Now I'll pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Israel the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one who mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his only son. In that day there should be great mourning in Jerusalem, and we see the mourning... Why are these people mourning? Why do you think they're mourning? I just want to ask you that. Christ is coming back. The light's coming on. What are they mourning about? Any ideas? Well, they're being physically delivered, and the nation is coming. Yes. Exactly. Uh, they're, they're realizing the light's coming on. We have messed up. Um, and it's been a long process of messing up. And we rejected Messiah, and now they see Him as He is. And there's that turning. And all of God's faithfulness is seen in this return of Christ, and they're understanding that all those covenants that God made out of His love, His mercy, His grace, He's been faithful all through this time, and we haven't. So this is... They've been physically delivered, but there's still that idea that they are, uh, they are struggling. They're in the process as a nation of turning to the Lord. And then in chapter 13, verse number 1, we see another great passage. It says, In that day shall, the, shall there be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanliness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the name out of idols, out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered, and I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when any prophesied and his father, well, we'll stop there. But the idea here is that there's a coming a time of a pure relationship with God through what He's done. And again, that's based on the New Covenant. Let's look at one more, chapter 14, verse number 20. <clears throat> Chapter 14, verse 20, it says, And in that day there shall be bells upon the horses, holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord, and they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein, 
And that day there should be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. The idea here is that purity and holiness will finally mark God's land where God's people live. All of these things are coming about, all of these blessings are coming about based on God's covenant. And so when it comes down to it, on the last page, Israel is not the church. But Israel does have a great future, a great future, a blessing. And the minor prophets show that God will restore, He'll bless these nation, the nation of Israel during the millennium. Um, God is working. And the Lord has, through His grace, through His mercy, through His, uh, everything that He has made these unconditional promises to Israel of things that He will do. And so again, I just want to remind you that this is not an exhaustive thing. This is hopefully something that may whet your appetite to maybe get into the minor prophets. Um, I've preached expositionally through the minor prophets. It took me like a year and a half to get through them. Maybe two years and a half. I don't know. It was a long time. Uh, my notes are that thick. And that's, it's just good stuff. Um, but it teaches about the character of God. And that God will do what He says He will do. The point is this. We can trust God. And we don't have to try to change prophecy around. We don't have to try to figuratively make things up. God has made great promises to us that He's going to keep. But He's also made great promises to Israel that He's going to keep. What He says He's going to do, He's going to do. And so as we try to teach people and help people with this concept, all we've done this morning is let the Bible say what it says. And God has made it very clear, this is what I'm going to do. And so it comes down, do we believe Him? Do we trust Him? Or do we think we have a better idea? Um, Was it the Ford company back in the 80s that said we have a better idea? Listen, we don't have any better ideas than God. God's plan is the best. Let's let Him work His way. All right, so let's stop there and let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank You this morning for this time. We thank You for what You show us from Your Word and uh, all that You've planned to do and all of Your promises You've made to us. Father, we thank You that You're coming back. We thank You that Christ is coming back. We thank You that You're not done with Israel and Lord, again, we thank you that as a church, we are not Israel. So we pray you're blessed today. We pray you help us to learn more and grow closer to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.